people. Good morning. We have a special treat this morning. One of the things I've really appreciated over the course of the last several months is some of our pastors and some of our elders preaching. Uh, this last week, I was catching up on some podcasts. If you ever want to catch up on a sermon that you missed, you can go to the iTunes section of your phone or Android, whatever section that is, the Play Store, I think it is. But you can follow along and follow teachings. And I was, I was loving following Pastor Tom from two weeks ago, and I loved following Mark from two weeks ago, because there's great continuity in the book of Acts. And so I'm thankful uh, for a good friend and a good brother who's going to come. And we're going to kind of do something different this morning. We're going to do a little bit of a co-teaching experience. Uh, Jay, one of our elders, is going to teach through Acts chapter 21. And then we're going to spend some time also interacting with the text. Uh, One of my favorite things uh, while I'm studying is to study for a while, kind of get an idea of where the passage is at, and then go talk to someone. I I love bouncing ideas off of, I I go down to Tom's office or Cameron's office, or or Jay will come in and we'll talk for two hours about a certain passage. Sometimes I'll talk to elders or Sunday school teachers. I I just love when, when I can gather and be challenged of, am I understanding this right? How else could I apply this to my life? And so I want to invite Jay to come up right now and invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. And uh, as you do that, um, I also want to invite you to stand. And I'd love love to invite you to say the Shema with me as we begin our time of teaching this morning. The Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. But repeat these words after me as we begin today. Hear, O Israel, The Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. alone. Love the Lord your God God. with all your heart, heart. with all your soul, soul. with all your might. might. Love your neighbor neighbor. as yourself. yourself. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for meeting us here. God, thank you that we can rely upon your word And we can put our hope again in Jesus today. Thank you for what you have done for us through him. I pray that your words would come alive to us today for your glory. For your glory, God. We bless you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. Amen. Jay. Thank you, brother. You may be seated. So we're in a little bit of trouble this morning. I'm already um, (laughs) blessed. Blessed by the worship this morning. by the word. Join me in Acts 21. We'll start in verse 10. Or I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 8. I can't read real well right now anyhow. So, Verse 8, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. One of the seven refers to an earlier passage in Acts. He had four unmarried daughters who, were, who prophesied. And while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, <laughs> bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns a belt and delivers him into the hands of the Gentiles. Last week I was talking with, um, or I had coffee with Mark Walters, which is not unusual. Um, And we were talking about this passage. And he's like, at this point right here, he goes, I know for me, he goes, as soon as he had the belt and he bound himself and he gave the prophecy, he said, I'd be like, that's your belt, brother. I'm not touching it. (laughs) That's not going to be my belt anymore. It's yours. But it is Paul's. 
And I want to go back, if we go back into Acts 20, um, just back one chapter, verse 22, it says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. This is Paul talking. He says, Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of, <laughs> of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul knows what he's walking into. He sees the storm coming. The Spirit has testified to him of this fact. If we go back in the same chapter, verse, or chapter 21, verse 4, the second half of it says, And through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They were telling him that because they knew the persecution that was to come. The storm is on the horizon. Many people can see it. Many people can testify to what is coming. They know it's trouble. Paul himself says it. I know the Spirit has told me that there is trouble coming. Two years ago, Two years ago, if you had come to me and said, Jay, trouble's coming. Trouble is coming. Something is going to happen in your life that's a major event that is going to cause trouble. I probably would have tried to figure out what, what it was. I certainly would have appreciated more information than trouble is coming, for sure. But if somebody had said, hey, you're going to have a major heart event, something's going to happen in your life, I would have dodged that bullet any way I could have. If somebody came to you and said, hey, you're going to have trouble in your family this week, you'd do everything you could to dodge that bullet, wouldn't you? You'd do everything you could to avoid that, that conflict. Maybe it's a conflict between you and your wife. Maybe it's a conflict at work. Maybe it's a conflict in your finances. Maybe it's a conflict with a health issue like I have. Maybe it's a conflict in some way. But if somebody came to you and said, hey, this is coming in your life, most of us would do everything we could to avoid it. If you read through the passage here in Acts Paul sets his mind and his heart on Jerusalem. And he wants to be there for Pentecost. But yet, all these warnings keep showing up in Paul's life, right? We have 22, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 21.4 and, though, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, there's trouble for you in Jerusalem. Why would you go there? Three different warnings that Paul gets. I think we're afraid of those type things when they happen in our lives. It could be that many things normally we feel, or normally, we feel it is greater than what we can do, or it's greater than what we can handle. Go on to verse 12, it says, And when, when we heard this, we and the people were urging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered and said, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I love this passage. Paul says, look, I, I understand your plea. I understand your ask. I understand what you're saying to me. I understand. I hear your words. I hear what you're saying to me. 
but I'm going anyhow. Why are you trying to hold me back? This is what I'm supposed to do. He's supposed to walk through the storm. And in this, we see Paul's submission to the storm that is coming in his life. He didn't run away from it. He leans into it. I'm going to go back to one of my favorite um, quotes from Bob Goff. Or Goff, I'm sorry. Um, in Love Does, he says, I think God sometimes uses the completely inexplicable, inexplicable events in our lives to point us towards him. We get to decide each time whether we will lean in towards what is unfolding and say yes or back away. We get to choose. Leaning in is not easy. Leaning in goes against some of our own human characteristics, doesn't it? I don't want to lean in. It'd be like somebody sitting there with a pen poking it in your side and you lean in towards the pen. You don't want to do that. That hurts. It's just adding to it. Paul leans in here and we hear this, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's leaning in, isn't it? That is going all in. That's going all the way. As far as you can go, I'm willing to go be in prison or even die in Jerusalem if that's what the Lord wants in my life. He submits to the storm that is coming. Verse 14, and here's the pivot point in this passage right here. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Oh. Can you give up that situation to the will of the Lord? Can you give up whatever it is in your life that is not right according to us? Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a family issue. Can you give that up to God? and say, let the will of the Lord be done. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it goes to the whole, the whole story, and you probably know the story where God calls Samuel. Samuel's not used to the voice of the Lord yet. He hasn't been, um, that hasn't happened to him yet. So he runs to Eli, and he hears Samuel, Samuel. He runs to Eli, and he says, what do you want? I'm going to paraphrase, all right? Chapter 3. Eli says, I don't want anything. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. Second time, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up. He runs to Eli. What do you want? Eli says, eh, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. You're hearing things. Go back to sleep. He goes back to bed. Third time, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up. He runs to Eli. Finally, maybe Eli wakes up enough this time. I don't know. Um, but Eli says, I didn't call you. But the next time he calls you, answer, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Samuel, Samuel, fourth time. And then God talks to Samuel. This is what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do in your life. This is what I'm calling you to do, Samuel. The next day they get up and Samuel does not want to talk to Eli. Because Eli just got shut out, didn't he? He's got sin in his life, and he's not dealing with it. And so the Lord is saying, I'm passing, the, I'm passing this along from Eli now to you. And he doesn't really want to tell Eli this. Eli comes to him and says, no, you tell me everything. Otherwise, I'm going to pray that the Lord does to you what he's about to do to me. Eli knows. He's seen the writing on the wall. In, in verse 18, it says, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord let him do what seems good to him. There's somebody who submitted to God's will in his life. Matthew 6, chapter 10, we just studied this a few weeks ago. The word says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ is teaching his disciples to pray. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Christ doesn't just teach them and walk away, does he? He teaches them and then he shows it too. And we get to see this when we go to Luke chapter 22, verse 42. It says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And we all know what passage this comes from. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Man, what great faith people can have. We have a misconception in American church culture that when we submit to God's will, (laughs) everything's going to be fine, right? The kids are going to be happy. The communication spouse to spouse is going to be great. That relationship is going to be solid. You're going to go to work and people are just going to adore you, right? I mean, if you're in the center of God's will, everything is perfect there, right? Everything works out perfect in the middle of his will. Everything is smooth sailing, right? The car doesn't break down. The house doesn't need to be fixed. The, the family, all the conflict in family is gone. All of that disappears, right? When, when conflict comes in our life, while well, we must not be in the will of God, right? When trials come in our life, we must not be in the will of God. That is, in American culture, I think how we look at that. And it's not right. Paul is going to walk through one of the worst storms in his life. And we see it start to happen towards the end of this chapter even. But Paul is going to walk through this. And he's going to walk faithfully. But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of everything that's happening to Paul, in the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of all the imprisonment, in the midst of all the problems and the trials that Paul is about to face, he holds strong. And that's the key in the passage here. Everybody comes to Paul and they go, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't do this. We've seen different prophecies. We've seen all these different things that tell us that you're going to get in trouble by going to Jerusalem. So why would you go there? Something is going to happen if you do this. So why would you do that? But Paul holds strong to what God says. Two stories, one from um, John Chapter 6, 24, or 22, sorry, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side, whoops, I'm in the wrong passage, back up to 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The, the seas became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then if you roll back over to Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, on, the same, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I love these two stories. They're short, they're combined, but they're great. The disciples get caught in the midst of a storm. Now, there's two different things that happen here. But the key component is Jesus is there. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't let them struggle. He doesn't let them continue, but he's there. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty that they're experiencing, experiencing, he is there. And his reaction is different each time. 
But I love the passage in John where it says they were glad he was there. It doesn't say that the storm went away. It doesn't say that it ceased. He did that in the other one. But it says he was there. And with him there, it made all the difference in the storm. In the storm of our life, when times are not going well, when they've poked you for the hundredth time with a needle in the hospital, when the bank account reads a big fat zero and the car's broken down in the driveway, when things aren't going well at work, whatever the situation is, doesn't really matter. In the midst of the storm, where are you looking? Where's your vision? Who are you looking for? Are you trying to figure out how to make that zero a bigger number? Are you trying to figure out how to, how to correct this conflict in the family? Are you trying to count the days until maybe whatever health event you have is over? How do you work your way out of it? The passage here says, keep, come on, brother, keep your eyes on the Lord. And that's what Paul does in this passage. And I think it's such a wonderful thing. Come on, join me. Let's, um, let's talk through this because I've hit this one section of the passage pretty hard. <laughs> So the story goes on, and Paul does go to Jerusalem. Um, he ends up down there. As a matter of fact, when he goes, ironically, a group of people go with him. Right. So, and I love that part in the passage. I love the fact that I'm either sitting or twisted here. There we go. Um, I love that part in the passage. But go back, any thoughts on this whole, you know, verse 13, verse 14, especially with the storm? Um, and the, and the trials in, in Paul's life here. I, I hadn't. So, so what I love about studying with people is I haven't made that connection, you know? Seeing Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible says, uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember it now. Um, but but they're, on, they're on the water there. And, and <clears throat> the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible says, did you believe your fears instead of me? Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, a lot of this kind of verse 13, 14 being about the Lord's will be done is saying, am I going to believe fear or am I going to believe my own sense of pride or what I think should be or am I going to say, God, you are sufficient. Mm-hmm. And so I, lo- I love that, 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 that passage. My mind, went to, um, my mind went to Psalm 23 and Joshua 1 as you were talking. Mm-hmm. Psalm 23, uh, even though I go through the valley of the deepest, darkest shadow, I'm paraphrasing here, I fear no evil because why? You are with me. Uh, Joshua 1. You know, Joshua is the quintessential, if you have to replace someone, you don't want to replace Moses. I mean, Moses is like the the leader of leaders in many ways. Not perfect, Mm -hmm. certainly, but he's Moses. And yet, when Joshua's given the charge by God to lead the nation of Israel, God comes to him and says, be strong and very courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I, I, I think you're so on the mark in saying that in Western culture, this is, this is a difficult thing for mm-hmm. us to say because we want to say, what about this and what about this and what about this? Um, and yet, really willing to receive what God has for us is, is a learned process. It's not a natural overflow of our life. Uh, although it's real and it happens and it's God's will and it's God's timing, we don't always understand it. Having, being able to say, God, not my will, but yours, is something that the Holy Spirit has to work in each of our lives. It's, it's not a fleshly response. That, that is not how we normally react when we face trouble or we face trial or something else like that. What I love about the passage, uh, amongst many things, is you have this group of people. So twice in Acts chapter 21, uh, you know, in verse 1, you'll notice, after we tore ourselves away, all right, he's, he's just kind of 
He's wept and he's knelt and he's prayed with the people in uh, verse 36 of the prior chapter. He tears himself away. It's a painful departure. They go to all these places. They're sailing. And, and through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And yet, um, in verse 5, when our days were over, we left to continue our journey. While all of them, with their wives, children, they, they went out to the city, or escorted us out of the city, and they knelt down on the beach to pray. You know, and one of the questions that comes to me when I'm studying, I'm like, why would they do that? But then you see it, you see it kind of happen again, over and over again, mm -hmm. of, of that there's this submittedness to the will of God in saying, God, we have to come before you because we can't pursue this in our own. And so they pray. You know, one of, one of the purposes of prayer is to align our heart with God's. It, it's to be reminded of what God's will is for us and to take peace in knowing that he is with us. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that, that picture of prayer. And, you know, it's after the prayer, they say, all right, we'll see you. <laughs> right. You know, they, they, they don't try to hold him back any further mm -hmm. from what God has for him. Because what they want for him is what God wants for mm -hmm. him. No, I think I, I really like that. Um, so interestingly enough, this is the group at Tyre that does this. Or that's after this. Um, but this is one of the groups that Paul did not start this church. But he goes into the city. He, gets, he, he goes and he finds the Christians in the city. He goes and finds a church in the city. And he, he worships with them. He spends time with them. He teaches them. He leads them and that type of stuff. And it's amazing how quickly, and we see this twice in this passage. It's amazing how quickly Paul is integrated with the churches that maybe he, he wasn't the one that started and that type of thing. And that's, that's one of the great, the great things, I think, about this passage. Yeah, well, I mean, just, just consider, if you were to go to another church or if someone, you know, were to be a guest here, one of the things I would hope that we would be about as, as fellow believers in Jesus is where are you at? How can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that happens over a more extended conversation than maybe 30 seconds. But the fact that he can pull up on the coast of Tyre right. there and he has right. people whom he is joined with, not by, not by maybe his nationality, not maybe by his language, but joined with by their one common unity mm -hmm. of the gospel, which, which is interesting because then he goes to Jerusalem. You want to jump there? Jump yeah, to Jerusalem? yeah, cool. So, so then he goes to Jerusalem <laughs> and he joins the brothers there. And they're like, hey, by the way, there might be some trouble. Some people have heard about you. And so they, they, say, to, they say to him, here's what we want you to do. They say, there's some men here who are about to take a Nazarite vow. We want you to go up to the temple with them and go through the Jewish purifications in order to just, in, in part, demonstrate mm -hmm. to people you are still Jewish. You right. still love the law of God. You still follow, like, you're not going to take a Gentile into the inner courts of the sanctuary, which was absolutely forbidden. I was looking at a photo earlier, and there's these actual, in some of the renderings, there's these little... Um, like little fences to keep people out of a certain area right. because if they go past that area, their blood is on their own hands. Right. And that, that's essentially what Paul is accused of. He's accused of, you have taken a non-Jewish person into a Jewish-only area and part of worship of God. <clears throat> so, so he moves into this and thus begins the whole thing that we're going to study next week and the, mm -hmm. the following weeks as Paul then goes from Jerusalem, he's put under arrest, but he's really persecuted by his own nation of people. And to, and to go with that, um, the Nazarite <laughs> vow is reading some information on this, and um, the elders of the Jerusalem church are the ones that are encouraging him to do this yeah. and all this type of stuff. But part of the reasoning might be because he had spent all this time with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. He had spent it outside of the Jewish culture in with Gentiles and that type of stuff. And this was a way of purification, that type of stuff. I think this was a, more of a Jewish tradition for them to accept him back into Judaism. Mm. I guess if you want to say it that way, maybe that's not the right way to, to phrase it. But because of him spending so much time with Gentiles, maybe they would perceive him as unclean yeah. even because there was that divide at that time too. Well, yeah. And so Paul goes through, if, if you uh, look at verse 24, <clears throat> chapter 21, excuse me. It says, take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay for them to get their heads shaved. This is the Nazarite vow part. Um, 
then everyone will know that what, we, what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. But look at 25. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, all right? This is Acts 15 that it's referencing here. Other things too, but Acts 15 is the big one. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we've written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. And so while that was something that that early church had agreed to, the council had gathered in Jerusalem in Acts 15, they had said, these are the four things that matter most. Mm -hmm. these, the, these four things teach the Gentiles to do these things as well as they come into the faith. But the biggest thing that they have the problem with, I think, is that Gentiles are coming into mm -hmm. faith, mm -hmm. which is interesting because as gatekeepers of the Jewish nation, they wanted to keep out everyone who wasn't them. And yet what Jesus tells his followers is he says, go make disciples of all nations. And actually, if you go back all the way, we won't back all the way up there, but Genesis, he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. There's great continuity within the heart of God and within the word of God that the gospel goes forth, not just from the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And so what, what's at play here is, yeah, take the gospel to the Gentile. Make it, make it accessible for them, but keep these four things in mind. And Paul gladly jumped on that board, but he comes back to Jerusalem, and it's not the case. Right. So we go on in, in verse 27. It says, um, when the seven days were almost completed, they right. almost get there. <laughs> yeah. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the, the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he brought the Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen an Ephesian with him and had thought that he had taken them, in, or had taken them into, the, into the inner court. And that type of thing. So this is where trouble starts for Paul. This is where the storm actually arrives. We refer to it in 1314 when we're talking about, you know, how he perceives it and all these warnings that he gets and this type of stuff. This is the arrival of the storm. And this, this seems to be the, the MO for Paul. He goes in, he preaches the gospel, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, there's an uprising, Jewish uprising, as it were. Right. People are, are, you know, coming on and, and you know, making, a, making problems for him. Well, and, and it's an uprising, too. I don't know if you noticed, but it, there's an up, it's an uprising about something that's not true. Mm -hmm. Because they say, what's right. more, he's also brought right. Greeks into the temple in this profane, this holy place, which is a lie. It, <laughs> this is a side comment. But always be careful when you hear something that's going on and verify that what is being said is true. All right? If you see, if you see a, a commotion start outside at some point, be like, do I want to be a part of this group or not? Right. It's, always a good, it's always a good question in a barometer. What are you doing? Is it true? Okay, I'm in or I'm out. But see, to go from that, then it says here, um, and I lost it, then all the city was stirred up. Yeah. So those wasn't just a small yeah. group there at the temple. They stirred up the entire city over yeah. there. So they, they made sure that they went out and then they got everybody involved. So this is the ultimate group think, I think, here, as far as you know, getting everybody involved in this. They get the entire city stirred up. Um, basically, they drag Paul out of the temple. The um, guards or whoever it is at the temple, they close the doors. Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, take this outside. Don't do this in here, but take this outside. And they start beating Paul up. And they beat him almost to death. Mm -hmm. And I'll let you go into the next portion here where the, the Romans intervene here. Right. Um, well, so, so what, what you have in here, too, is you have... Uh, the Jews who clearly want Paul dead, um, verse 31, as they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. And so likely uh, there's, there's the temple area, and then there's what's called the Antonia Fortress. And it's a big fortress that resides next to, it's, 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 a, it's a big building, four, four columns on it from which the Roman guards could see is there any unrest? And especially during times of festivals, they'd be very much on their guard because Rome wants peace. I don't think Rome necessarily cares about who this Jesus is because they even say, aren't you the one? Uh, it's in verse uh, 38. He said, the, the, the guard or the commander asked Paul, he's like, 
Uh, aren't you the Egyptian who raised a rebellion some time ago and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? And Paul responds, you can just imagine the face the facial uh, expressions on their faces. I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now let me speak to the people. You know, it's like not who I was thinking. Right. Uh, okay, I got a story for you real quick. Sure. Um, so in the last two weeks, I've been misinterpreted as to who I am because of my belt, I guess. I, that's the only thing I can figure out. So the first time I was at an auto parts store and I got out and a couple guys were like literally yelling at each other in the parking lot. And one guy said, I'm going to call the cops. As a matter of fact, there's one right there. <laughs> I'm not a cop. I don't play one on TV. I mean, I'm, seriously, really? I mean, I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I, how, how is this a police officer? I don't know. But so I went in the store real quick because I was kind of like, what in the world's going on with this? You know, I don't want to get involved in this. The second time I was at Menards, this gentleman walks up. Colleen and I were looking at, at I don't know, we were looking at something at Menards. Shorts, you know, tan shorts, red polo shirt. Okay, red. Menards is blue, like today, you know. But yeah, it was wearing red. So this guy walks up and he starts telling me this project that he's going to do. And he goes through the whole spiel. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refinish my deck and I've got this and I've got that and I need this. And, and these guys over here and they gave me this and he's holding the part and he's showing me the parts like it matters, you know. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, I don't, I, I, and I'm waiting and I'm thinking, surely he's going to realize real quick. My shirt does not say Menards on it anywhere. Back, front, doesn't matter. It doesn't say Menards on it. Nope, the guy went through the whole thing and, and everything. So I was like, wow, you know, this is kind of unusual. So I think this is probably the same type of thing here when they go to Paul and they go, you know, aren't you, aren't you this Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led into the wilderness? I got to get farther away from the scripture so I can read it. Um, but, you know, led this revolt and, and took these 400 people out into the wilderness. And, they, and Paul's got to be sitting there like, what, me? Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously? You know, I mean, how in the world? So I, I'm just curious. Did, did you happen to take that person to the correct? I do not, no. <laughs> To the correct no. island? I, okay. I told him, good luck, find somebody, and okay. I'm out of breath anyhow, so I'm going to go sit over there. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so all of this, Paul finds himself in situations that are different, um, and yet this is all a part of how mm. God is taking him from islands off the coast of the Mediterranean all the way down to Jerusalem mm -hmm. and eventually to Rome. And not, not, not for the sake of just his own, um, his own, like, I want to see the world, but right. for the sake of, Paul, this is what I have for you. You know, Paul's dreams were to take the gospel to the, end of the, to the ends of the world. He wanted to go to Spain, or not mm -hmm. Spain, he wanted to go into, um, I can't remember the name of the... Uh, region, but he wanted to go there, and the Spirit said no, and the Spirit said, no, I want you to go into Macedonia, and he ends up going all throughout mm -hmm. Greece and teaching and preaching, and yet what we're going to see in the course of the next several chapters of the book of Acts as we finish it this summer is that this is all part of God's will, that as Paul goes, he has a choice. I am I going to say, here are my circumstances, mm -hmm. I'm in prison again, <laughs> I don't want to be here. I wish I was with there. I wish I could go to the temple for the feast of Passover. I wish I could do this and do this and do this. But rather, he says, here I am, God. What do you have in front of me? And God, how can I best honor you and worship you in proclaiming who Jesus is in the context you have placed me? And to walk through that door is such a powerful message. And we see this in Paul's life. We see it in Peter's life. We see it in John's life. You know, many different people in the New Testament, we see it in their life where God calls them to something that maybe is difficult, maybe it's something that they're just not comfortable with and that type of thing. And this goes back to, to verse 14, you know, where Paul says, you know, this is what God has called me to do. This is what I'm going to do. And if it costs me my life, it's going to cost me my life. I'm okay with that. And that's, that's the beauty of this passage. And that's why I think that's kind of the pivot point in this whole passage is, you know, Paul getting to a point and actually saying, look, you know, God's called me here. I know there's imprisonment. And if he calls me to die here, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. And, and I think that's such a challenge to us. I mean, it's difficult. I was, I was sitting in your office, as a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, and, and Cameron was there, I think, and the three of us were talking, and, and um, it looked like things were changing for me. It looked like things were um, moving in a, I don't know, a different direction for me. 
and that type of stuff. And we had that conversation and your question was, how do I pray for you? Yeah. And boy, that's a hard one. I, I, I never know what to say. You know, pray for good health. Well, <laughs> you know, pray for bad health. Uh, it's kind of like, it's a two-edged sword, you know. I don't, I don't know. And so, I mean, the simple thing is just to say, hey, pray for the will of God. Yeah. Pray for the will of God. Yeah. And, and all honesty, I think for me, it's easy to say, you know what? Submission is not the easiest thing. Um, talking from the inside now, okay? Yeah. Talking from somebody who really, this is, this is like, this is hard stuff. Submission is not the easiest thing. Yeah. Um, but to submit to the will of God sometimes means that you're going to accept the outcome that isn't what you want it to be. And I've struggled with that. That has been... That's, that, that is probably one of, the, one of the difficult things. And many people sitting in here have had to struggle with different things in their life. And, and they've had to submit. You have to submit. You cannot, you, you have to submit on two levels. I think you have to submit on an on a earthly level, on a human level, to, okay, what is the best thing for me? And I have to submit to that. And then I have to actually agree to that. But the other part of it is I have to submit to God. Yeah. You know, I can submit here a lot easier if I submit here first. When I submit here, when I submit to my Heavenly Father, and I go, God, oh, <laughs> whatever you want to do in my life, do. And I'm okay with that. To, to, to maybe, if you're a guest with us today, I, I don't want to just assume everyone knows. Um, Jay's a heart patient, I am. And, and he's 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 awaiting a new heart, basically. Uh, without going into all the medical details that I don't understand anyway, um, Jay's trusting God for a literally new heart mm -hmm. at some point, which is why he wears the back, or not the backpack, the the, the, the belt. belt. Hat. <laughs> That's why he looks like a Menards employee. That's right, um, yeah, or a police officer, I or guess. A police officer, yeah. <laughs> he's not a police officer, so. So for Jay to say that, and I, I remember the day in my office when he said, pray for God's will. And it's one thing for me to say, pray for God's will. Mm. And it's a whole other thing with what he's walking through to say, pray for God's will. That doesn't make one good or bad. That just means that we're all in different areas that God has us. God's will for me might be very different. It might involve me addressing something that is night and day different than what God is wanting to do with Jay. Um, one of the passages that came to my mind as I was looking at this, this, this passage this week um, is the psalmist declares in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, uh, if, you're, if you're a U2 fan, that's my old rock and roll days, I guess. I, I waited, they made it popular because they did a song called 40, and mm -hmm. it's, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, and he made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will trust in him. It says, I will sing, sing a new song. But then in verse 8, the psalmist declares this. He says, I delight to do your will. I, I delight. Mm -hmm. I, I delight to do mm -hmm. your will. My God, your instruction is within me. You know, so to kind of bring it to somewhat of a conclusion, mm -hmm. how do we do and be about God's will in God's timing and in God's way? And I've got a couple of thoughts and then you can, you can close. Um, first off is this, well, I'm, I'm just, this passage challenges me in this regard is that Paul and really all the other believers, you know, e even Luke who's writing this, he says, we begged him not to do this. We begged him. They came to a point of saying, prayerfully, I think, and I think led by the Spirit as well, they came to the point of saying, no, this is, this is what the Lord has for Paul. We don't know the extent of what it is, but, but prayerfully, we have come to the point of saying, God, we trust Paul into your hands. We don't know his days. We don't know his future, but God, you do. And if you're walking through a really hard time right now and you're saying, God, where are you? And you're saying, God, what is your will? I think one of the things that we have to practice as a people, a people of God, is to be prayerful. 
Prayer is one of the significant ways that God reveals himself to us. The other thing is through the word of God. A lot of the will of God has been recorded for us. Now, I, I don't know what God's will for Jay and his health is. I, I don't know what that is, but I know that God wants Jay to be holy. Mm -hmm. I know that God wants Jay to be someone who, when someone meets him, they see Christ, who, who exhibits love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That much I do know. And a lot of the time, we worry about the unknown part, at least to us, the unknown part of God's will in our life. And we're less concerned about the known part of what does God want me to do right now. And prayerfully, and by being in the text, mm -hmm. is how you pursue that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, so I was wondering where this was going to fit, and it fits right here. So this, the Lord. Is, this is the Lord doing as well. Um, so every 30 days I get to go to clinic um, and they plug into my controller and they look at all my stats and all that kind of stuff. So I call it my 30 day checkup. Um, and I do it every 30, within 30 days. Um, so this week I get a phone call from the clinic. Um, that's where I go. <clears throat> and they said, hey, can you come in and talk to somebody who's about to get an LVAD, which is what I have right now, a heart pump that's um, bridging the gap between good health and a new heart. Um, so um, they do this on occasion. I've heard of it. They've called me a couple times. I've been able to go in and talk to people and that type of stuff. And they called me and they said, hey, can you come in and talk to somebody who needs an LVAD? Okay. I, I kind of enjoy doing it myself. Um, it's kind of fun because there's a camaraderie there. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's about to walk a path that you've already walked and that type of stuff. The really interesting thing on this one was um, I went and talked to the gentleman and his wife. We sat down. We had a good conversation for a while. And this gentleman said, um, so how do you do it? How do you do it? You have all these restrictions. Um, I don't go around water. <laughs> you know, different things in my life that, that I have restrictions on, and he's about to have them in his life, and he says, how do you do it? How do you do this? And I sat there, and I went, wow, God, talk about kicking the door wide open. Right. I mean, just walk right through that one, right? That's an easy one. That's a softball one, right? Kind of thing. So, I mean, I think it was great because I was able to sit there and say, well, I'm a Christian, and this is what this means in my journey. As I submit to God, as I seek God through his word, as I talk to God through my prayers, here's, here's what this means in my life. Man, you know, it, it may be a different situation for everybody, and it is. It's, it's certainly different. I don't know of anybody else here who has an LVAD. Um, I don't know anybody else here with a heart condition or anything like that. I know people have had them and that type of stuff. But God gives us the ability, as long as we're ready, right? How, how are you ready? How is Paul ready? Paul is in the Word. He's studying the Word. He's talking to God. We see it multiple times through the passage here. Even in Acts, we see it where Paul is, is communing with God and that type of thing. And, and I, think it's, I think it calls on us as Christians really to be in the Word. It calls on us as Christians really to be people of prayer. I mean, as I go, this is the third time I've been able to talk to somebody. Actually, fourth time I've been able to talk to somebody. And every time I walk in the door and I'm praying, because I know the situation that they're in, they're sitting in that room, and unless somebody walks through that door, more than likely they're not going out to talk to somebody. Not, and I mean that by, you know, when I was in the hospital, if it, I mean, my whole world was that room. I wasn't leaving that room. I was in the room all the time. And many of you here can relate to that. You've been in that situation where you've, you've been in the room. Unless somebody walks through that door with something, you've got whatever you've got. And I, I just pray all the time, God, just as you lead me to people, lead me to people that I can talk into their life. And I pray that we all do that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the trials and the tribulations, in the midst of everything that goes on. And we see this in a great way in Paul's life in this chapter. Be ready. 
But to be ready, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be on your knees. Yeah. The biggest thing we'll ever share is not, yes, I also have an LVAD. Right. I, I love that story. How do you do it? Right. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're like, let's just put it on our back and let's just power through it. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our human fleshly reaction. Sure. But God's reaction says, come to me. Mm-hmm. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my teaching, my yoke upon you, and there you find rest for your souls. Very good. I don't know where you are at in life this morning. I hope that you are encouraged, though, knowing that wherever you are at, God is there with you. And knowing that even in your deepest, darkest struggles of life, God wants to meet you there and help lead you and guide you by his grace into a way that is everlasting. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our King, We do not always understand your ways, but we can see your heart for us. We can see your heart because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We who once were far off because of our sin, we were separated you eternally. God, you have brought us near as we trust in what Christ has done. And that, that's the real message, God, that you want us to be about. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters this morning. Some of them are, are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of them are in great high-top mountain parts of life. And, and God, you know where each one is at. You know where they're going to be. But God, regardless of where we are at, You long to grow us and you long to teach us. And you ask us, God, to submit. Submit to your will, submit to your teaching to become students of the text so that we might learn in order to live. And as we live, God, people see and they say, how do you do it? And Father, I pray as people ask us those questions and as you God open opportunities for us to share the reason for the hope that we have within us in a really dark and difficult world a world a world full of selfishness and pride a world a world full of sin God as people walk and they see a different life even a life that through struggle is set upon what is holy righteous and good God, may we be the kind of people who say, it's not I, but Christ in me. God, may you give us the grace to live out of the power of your spirit and not according to our own flesh. God, bring comfort to those who are are in deep places today. Remind them that they are not alone because it's true. They are not alone. And Lord, equip us as as believers, as followers of Jesus, wherever someone is at today, to help encourage them and to share that walk that we have with you, with them. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen.